Uh, I want you to start by thinking of a situation where you are in a new or unfamiliar setting. You have a new job, um, you're going to your spouse's work party where you don't know others. Uh, you're traveling to a new country, uh, you're a newcomer to Canada, you're moving back to Saskatoon like Kendrew, uh, you're stepping into an unfamiliar church, you're going into high school, you're meeting the family of someone that you're dating for the first time, okay? So we've all had something like that in our, in our lives, I would think. There are some people that are really fluid, and they just fit so naturally in these different kinds of settings. They pick up the subtle language and the customs just super quickly. Others of us stick out like a sore thumb in these awkward situations. Since Christmas, we've been looking at the culture of the kingdom of God. And the culture is the customs, the ways, the behaviors of people. And so we've been looking at the customs, the ways, and the people, the behaviors within the kingdom of God. But the challenge is, when it comes to the kingdom of God, that it's not a physical location in time and in space. It wasn't just Israel 2,000 years ago, and it isn't just the church today. The kingdom of God was announced by Jesus, and he is the anointed king of his kingdom. His kingdom is about relationship. It's about loving God and loving others. The unique thing of the kingdom is there's no gates to enter his kingdom. You simply need to believe. You need to have faith. You need to confess that Jesus is the king of the kingdom. You need to accept your adoption as sons and daughters, as citizens of this kingdom. And then start to live out the ways of Jesus. It's kind of like figuring out how to live in a new culture. For those of you who are married, when you're, you're hanging out with your in-laws, or a new country, you can, you can learn and grow in this environment, but it's not necessarily natural. There are customs and ways that you just kind of awkwardly figure out. For some, it's more natural. For some, it's more of a challenge to understand the kingdom of God. In Eugene Peterson's version, the, the Message, he translates Romans chapter 6 this way. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or don't you realize that we packed up and we left there for good? That is what happened at baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. And when we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we're lowered into the water, it's like the burial of Jesus. And we're raised up out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in our new grace-sovereign country. And I would add, in the kingdom of God. When we, when we enter into the kingdom of God, our identity changes. The ceremony that occurs is baptism. It's physical, outward sign that shows that we've been adopted into the kingdom. But for many, stepping into the kingdom, being adopted by Christ is a quiet, inner 
process of belief until we suddenly recognize that the Holy Spirit has been drawing us to Christ slowly. And in so doing, we've been transforming to become more like Jesus. And because we identify with Jesus, our identity changes. We're adopted sons and daughters of the Most High King. That makes us princes and princesses in the kingdom of God. We are expected to expand the king's kingdom by spreading the culture of the kingdom. That's why it's so important and why we've talked about this for the past six months through the gospel of Matthew and looking at the ways of King Jesus. We've talked about how this kingdom is now and not yet. We've talked about obedience. We've talked about calling, invitation, joining, change and transformation, submission, peace, conflict, judgment, love, countercultural, upside down, grief, possessions, learning, building as ways of the kingdom culture. In short, uh, we've tried to come from a whole bunch of different angles to try to reveal the kingdom of God through preaching. But our preaching really can only give you a small glimpse. It's like being told stories of another foreign country. The reality is that the only way to truly understand the kingdom of God is to experience it for yourself. And the only way to truly experience the kingdom of God is to walk in through faith, in Jesus Christ, and allow the Holy Spirit to become your guide. Following the Holy Spirit is like following an indigenous guide into the kingdom. Pastors, small group leaders, we're we're fellow journeyers. We're older brothers and sisters, simply maybe having more experience or more study. But we're also not native to the kingdom. The Holy Spirit is the guide in the kingdom of God. Picture the Holy Spirit and you're on a tour. On your left, you will see life come out of death. And on your right, grief will turn into joy. Along this tour, a little further later, we will see sickness resulting in healing. And we'll see enemies become friends. And just so you know, welcome to the kingdom of God, but here the poor are actually the rich in this kingdom. But that's only if we have eyes to see and ears to hear. In other words, your eyes and your ears and your thoughts need to be transformed to see and think the ways of Jesus. You need to listen to the guide, not just the preacher. So that's my intro. Even though it's more of a summary, which is kind of normal as we learn about a paradoxical kingdom. This summer, we're going to be looking, we're shifting, uh, starting next week, into the parables of Jesus. We're going to stay in the book of Matthew, but there's a ton of parables that we haven't covered. And it's just simply a way to wrap up our our study uh, this year of the book of Matthew. I'll remind you that uh, 
Next week is online only, and we start at 10 o'clock. So to wrap up this series this week, we're going to look at the question that Matthew records uh, in chapter 12. Could this be the son of David? The descendant of King David, who will rule. The one who will make us a nation again and restore our land. That was the plea of the Jews at that time. And it's been asked throughout Matthew's gospel in a variety of different ways by a variety of different people. And Matthew wants to be very clear with his audience that Jesus fulfills all the Old Testament prophecies about the coming Messiah. He is the anointed king of Israel. But he hasn't come to establish an earthly kingdom for people by simply overthrowing the Romans. They were the rulers at the time. He has come to overthrow sin and death and evil and Satan and everything that is against God so that his creation can be restored and healed from the consequences of sin that entered the world through the garden when Adam and Eve disobeyed right back in the first book of the Bible in Genesis. The context of Matthew 12 is some heightened tension between Jesus and the Pharisees. Things have been building for a while, and at last, the intentional healing on the Sabbath pushed the Pharisees over the edge. They decided they needed to get rid of Jesus. But the Pharisees were law followers. They couldn't murder. They couldn't break one of the commands. Jesus is gaining popularity because of the freedom that he was giving and the healing that he was bringing. And the Pharisees realized they couldn't kill him, but they needed to sway public opinion. They needed to get the people to want to kill Jesus. It was time for a smear campaign. It's the age-old tactic. If you are losing an unwinnable argument against a more credible opponent, stop trying to win the argument and attack the character. Cause people to doubt the character and the intentions of your opponent. And so the Pharisees, they go all in. It's the best one that you can do. You're the devil. He's a fraud. He's a trickster. He will tell you what you want to hear and he will show you what you want to see, but he doesn't follow the Sabbath. He doesn't follow the law. And as we all know and have practiced as faithful Jews, that means he's evil. You should kill him. We should purge him from Israel like the scriptures say. Now, to the Jewish commoner, that is a reasonable argument. If he's too good to be true, he probably is. The law does say that we need to stone the false prophet. The Pharisees are our leaders. They have led us well in following the law. We should trust them. I picture this going down with the Pharisees kind of whispering around the edge of the crowds, kind of planting seeds of doubt. He's the devil. Don't listen. Purge him. Kill him. And Jesus sees what's going on. He sniffs it out and basically says, okay, 
Satan is evil, but he's not dumb. If he fights against his own team, that's just not very smart. See, the Pharisees were also known for casting out demons. But their ways and their effectiveness simply wasn't as authoritative as the way Jesus did it. It didn't bring the, the life and the, the, the solution, the, the, the freedom of when Jesus did it, like in this story. And so Jesus reminds this to the Pharisees and to the entire crowd. And by doing so, he flips the question back to the crowd. He's basically implying, you know, maybe it's you guys that are demons and casting out demons in Satan's name. He's saying, if I'm doing it better than you, and in a way that is led by the Spirit of God, then you need to recognize that I have the greater power. The kingdom of God has overcome the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of sin. And the crowd's going, okay, we got a bit of a discussion going on here. we got to think about this. Jesus is right. And he flips the smear campaign back on the Pharisees. Jesus doesn't stop there, though. Then he goes all in. He draws a line. You are either with me or you are not. If you're with me, you have chosen to listen and respond to the Holy Spirit's prompting. If you're not with me, it's because you've chosen chosen not to listen to the Spirit's prompting. Jesus says, I'm totally fine if you hurl insults at me. I'll forgive you. But if you don't listen and obey the Spirit's leading, you'll never see the need or have the chance to be forgiven. As I said earlier, the Spirit of God is like a native tour guide. He's like a travel agent. If you totally disregard your guide, if you totally disregard your, tra- your travel agent, you will never get to experience or see the kingdom of God. For example, let's pick an earthly kingdom. I have an image of it for you. It's a magical kingdom. It's kind of like a happiest place on earth kind of kingdom. Jesus is saying something like this. Work with me on the analogy. If you say that the lines are too long, the food is overpriced, there's not enough shade, my feet are sore, my kids just whine, my parents are too slow, or even the unthinkable that the mouse has a costume with a person inside, you can be forgiven. Terrible claims. And yet you can be forgiven. However, if you don't listen to the tour guide, you'll never even get there. Your tour guide is saying, okay, so if you come over here, you're going to see the gates. And if you go, oh, hey, look, in an out burger, you're not going to experience the kingdom. If your travel agent says you need to get on the plane on Tuesday to LAX, and you say, I'm too busy, you're not going to experience the kingdom. 
If your friend says, hey, let's go on a road trip to Disneyland, I will drive, get in the car, and you say, I think you're just going to drive me to Winnipeg. You're not going to experience the kingdom. You will never experience the kingdom if you don't listen to the Spirit of God. If you meet Jesus, he will forgive you for not seeing him who he really is. He will forgive you for not living out your identity as a prince or a princess in the kingdom. If you struggle to trust him, if you don't really understand who he is or all that he has done, that is forgivable because at least you have met him, because you have allowed the Spirit of God to lead you to him. But if you don't even give Jesus a chance, when the Spirit of God is telling you to have faith in Jesus, sorry, you chose to ignore him. I want to conclude here with with a plea that we listen to the Spirit of God and give Jesus a shot. Don't just listen with your ears. Don't just see with your eyes. But listen to the prompting of the Spirit deep within. Saying, come and follow me. For those of you who really struggle following Jesus, or living out the cultural ways that you think you're, is expected in the kingdom of God. You're stuck in habits, addictions, fears, failures, anxieties, because you just don't match up to the ideal that you see in the Bible or those that you compare yourself to, the brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God. Let me reassure you, you are a child of God. You are a prince or a princess in the kingdom of God. Your identity doesn't change just because you don't act like a child of God. All of that is forgiven because you have met Jesus. Jesus says, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. What is God's will? Listen to the Spirit when he says, come and follow me. Have courage, have faith, and trust in him. Don's going to come up and uh, lead us in communion. It's one of the practices of the kingdom of God. So Don, come on up and lead us. And as you do, I want to just simply put an age-old line back in your mind. Jesus, may your kingdom come And may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven.